Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Omniverse Podcast. This week's story is The Behemoth. And I wrote this as a bit of a challenge from Jared Axelrod. He was moderating a panel on steampunk a couple of years ago at Balticon and laid down the challenge to write steampunk in a colonial setting. A lot of steampunk is written as taking place in London or England proper. Um, and, And given the fact that during this period in England's history, the sun never sat on the empire, uh, it only seems to make sense that you would see more steampunk that takes place in the colonies. Uh, we've seen some of that in uh, the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences podcast by T.N. Pip. Uh, there have been some stories that have come in over there that have taken place in India, right off the top of my head, um, as well as their own stories, their own novels that take place in various places in the colonies, I mean in the uh, empire. So only makes sense to throw my own contribution into the ring. So I decided to write this story that take place in India, and it was inspired by uh, Rudyard Kipling's poem, Gunga Din. So initially I had named this character, the main character, Gunga Din, and got some feedback that maybe I should change the names to protect the innocent blah blah. So. I, I did some fiddling with it, and, and what we have here is uh, the end result. Uh, this story is available on Smashwords, and would love it if you would leave a review there uh, or on Amazon if you enjoy the story. Uh, this week's story is read for us by Brian Smith of the We're in Control podcast. They're sort of a uh, a news, interviews, uh, commentary podcast on science fiction, conspiracy theories, punk rock, movies, gaming. Uh, So definitely check them out. Brian does a fantastic job with with voicing this, and I appreciate his help. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Behemoth by Scott Roche Published by Scott Roche at Smashwords Copyright 2011 Scott Roche Narrated by Brian Edward Smith Cries of Pani Lao got Meta's attention. The call for water was nearly constant on the front lines. It was more for the gigantic steam-powered mechanical devices that the English used than for the men themselves. The walkers, as they were called, recovered quite a bit of water they used, but there was always some loss. Refilling them, even though it be from the sacred Ganges itself, seemed like an unending task. While he was more than a beastie, a simple water carrier... All hands needed to be on deck when soldiers were in the field. Refilling water was the first and most important priority, but guns needed powder, armor needed patching, and exhausted soldiers needed to be unbuttoned from their walkers to be replaced by fresh men. There were three soldiers for every suit in the cavalry, since one man couldn't stand more than an hour being cooped up in the hot metal cylinders. 
When things cooled down, he was able to perform repair and maintenance on the gears, cogs, springs, and other moving parts that made them work. His efforts were rewarded with the slaughter of scores of his countrymen. He carried no small amount of guilt and shame for serving in this capacity, but it was either this or die. He was not ready to die just yet. When he did, he would be sure to make it count. The heat from the boiler of the last walker he worked on nearly blistered his skin. Once its reservoir was full, he shouted to the pilot inside, Too bloody slow, Meta. I'll marrow you if you don't move a bit faster next time. The voice sounded inhuman, coming from the metallic grate. Meta simply nodded, reasonably sure the man inside couldn't see him. He believed the threat, though. Beatings were a regular part of the discipline in this unit, regardless of race. And even his skill as a repairman wouldn't earn him a reprieve if he stepped out of line. The nine-foot-tall mechanical giant ratcheted to its full height and the multi-barrel cannon came online. It lumbered back into the battle, ready to put down what rebellion there was left in this region. He waved at the white overseer, indicating that he needed a break. A nod got him the time that he wanted. The only reason he got that, it appeared, was that most of the walkers had just gone out. A simple tent set up nearby provided respite from the blistering sun. The English believed that his people were immune to its effects, but men needed water as much as the machines did. It also didn't help that the older he got, the more he needed a break. The shade took a few degrees off, and the water was a little cooler still. He sipped at it and let it work its way down. Meta, a shout came from the tent's door flap. Without turning, he could tell it was Sergeant Major Wittenhurst. The fact that such a man had sought him out meant that it must be important. He replaced the dipper he was using and turned, saluting sharply. Wittenhurst was tall for a white man. Metha didn't come up to even the medals on his chest. He closed the distance between them and looked down on the native repairman. Metha, your skills are needed urgently. Of course, sir. Metha spoke better English than most of these British. Why not? He had been trained in their schools as a boy. Once his native skills were noticed and couldn't be denied, he had received only the best. He stood straight and his chest puffed out. The sergeant major, to his credit, actually waited for the reply and acknowledged it. This way. He turned sharply and the two men walked with purpose, the mechanic taking nearly two steps for every one of the non-com. They passed through the camp quickly. Tents, once taut and rigid, were beaten down by the intense heat and humidity of the subcontinent. There were no soldiers to be found here during the day. Every man that was even nearly able-bodied fought. Sickness, whether due to heat or the many native diseases, was no excuse. That thought flashed through Matha's mind. It was odd indeed that the sergeant major was even here. To the best of his knowledge, the men should be on the field. Then Meta realized something else. Medals. He was wearing a full-dress uniform instead of the leather and brass underpinnings of a walker pilot. They were on the way to see someone important. Meta wore only broadcloth dhoti and a turban stained a dingy yellow. He would have liked a shirt, in spite of the sticky heat that would at least set him apart from those lower than he. A dark chuckle surprised him, coming as it did from his own chest. It wasn't as though it would be noticed by the occupiers. Eventually, they came to the outskirts of the camp, passing the latrines and then the hangers-on who begged for scraps. Out here... There seemed to spring from nowhere a light breeze. It was almost nothing, more a suggestion of wind than anything else. His mind was taken from such matters when he reached their destination. 
His eyes almost bugged fully out from his head. There it was, something that he had only heard whispers of, a land train called Behemoth by the British. It was a gigantic, tracked vehicle with three smokestacks and immense engines. Cannon spiked from a number of ports, and ratcheting teeth on the front and rear could chew through the thickest jungle or eat men alive. It breathed and smoked and sounded like some nightmare creature. Matha pushed any thoughts of superstition away. This was a clank, like any other giant machine he was trained to deal with. Then he heard it. There was a noise just under all of the others that he recognized, somewhere between a wheeze and a death rattle. Matha smiled an ugly smile. True, on his wrinkled face there was no such thing as a pretty smile, really. Even by his own people's standards, he wasn't a pretty man. The soul of the smile was a rotten one, though. A shout cut into his reverie. Meta! Snapping smartly to attention, he saluted. Sir! Evidently, the sergeant major had needed to call him more than once. Wittenhurst looked at the other man standing in the clearing near the behemoth. Sorry, sir, the natives are hard to deal with. The other, a lieutenant by his stripe, sneered. Yes, sergeant major, I understand. His gaze never even came close to looking at Meta. This one's different, though, sir. Wittenhurst looked over his sizable shoulder. Front and center mechanic. So it was no beastie here. He was in his proper role. He quick marched to stand nearer and could see the black humor in the gray man's eye. Matha knew the British uniforms fairly well, but other than rank insignia, there was no other indication as to what sort of unit the lieutenant was part of. Aye, sir. The lieutenant took a half step back. Tell your mechanic here what the problem is and understand that the urgency of this matter means that the Crown will look favorably on any man that is of use in this matter. Wittenhurst nodded and then spun to look at Meta. Look here, this machine has got something bad on the inside. You need to have a look and fix it. Meta worked hard not to smirk. The idea of a Walker pilot, even one as high-ranking as Wittenhurst, trying to explain to him what was wrong with this monstrosity was laughable. The very fact that it existed was wrong. The Walkers were bad enough. His people could fight those to some degree, but something like this was unbeatable. He had to do something. He nodded, the submissive scooping movement that was expected of him. I will need my tools and perhaps a helper or two. Made the hated having to ask permission, but anything that looked like he was taking charge would be met with suspicion. The lieutenant nodded. We have tools you can use, and you may bring one of your fellows with you. Thank you, sir. Using the tools they provided would actually be better and one man would be all he needed for whatever he was to do. Go get the men you need, Meta. We'll wait here. Wittenhurst gestured a dismissal with his chin. Be quick about it, though. Triple time. Meta nodded and turned to run back towards camp. He moved faster than he thought possible. He needed to talk to his compatriot on the way back, and every minute he wasted on the trip there was one less minute they had to plot. He reached the camp, panting. Giddish stood near one of the watering platforms. Two heads taller than Meta, the man probably weighed no more. His long, skinny arms might come in handy. He also knew that the man loved their masters no more than he did. Girish, he spoke in Bengali since too many of the British spoke enough Hindi to be problematic. We have a great opportunity. You must come and help. Girish's dark eyes narrowed into slits. What do your masters want of us now? Meta cursed to himself. He was not loved even by his own people. 
The history he had, attending a colonial school and getting some special treatment, made most suspicious of him. There is no time for this. We can work together and strike a blow against the occupiers. Sure, and they will kill me for sport and spit on my dead body. Fool, do not waste this. Giddish now held a sharpened bit of copper against Mitta's throat. The crude knife was sharp enough to shave with. You expect me to trust you? Mehta wasn't surprised that there was some sort of intelligence network that his fellow laborers had access to or that he was denied that same information. Given what he had just seen, he also knew it was true. Their time was nearing an end. My, he swallowed carefully, the movement creasing the flesh under the sharp edge. My life is no more valuable than yours to them. I am no fool. I am useful to them now, but once there is no shortage of manpower... Even my skills will be forgotten. Even more reason for us to strike together. The other man considered this, and the knife disappeared. So what is this that you need help with? Walk with me. We must hurry. Without waiting, he began walking back towards the behemoth. The British have a new war machine that they want me to work on. They wish me to fix it. Long legs kept Giddish from being left behind. Why you? As I said, there are few men in this part of the battlefront that possess my skill. The sergeant major knows this and has offered my help. This unholy thing is indeed broken, and it is my wish to make it so that when it dies, it takes as many of them with it as it can. Both men had seen their share of boiler ruptures and other such failures. It was uncommon, but when it happened, they could be disastrous. Giddish nodded. I will help you with this. If you are thinking of playing a trick on me, though... I will cut your throat and we will both go on to the next life. Of course, of course. Meta was tired of threats, regardless of their origins. The reluctant compatriots finished the trip back to the behemoth in silence. Once back in the clearing, he saw that more men had appeared from the belly of the monstrosity. They wore gray uniforms, similar to the lieutenants, but steel helmets and plates protected vulnerable potty parts. They carried short, brutal guns that Meta did not recognize. One of the soldiers raised his at their approach. Oi there, stop! Soldier, those are our mechanics. The lieutenant's voice cut through the thick air from above. He stood on a gangway that ran around the machine's upper deck. He gestured to them. Mantha and Giddish, heads down, did as they were bid, and walked to the treads. As they passed the troopers, one spat a stream of thick brownish liquid on them. By the time they reached the base of the ladder, the tall, thin officer stood at the ready. Somehow he looked fresh and crisp, as though the heat didn't bother him. Without looking directly at the two natives, he spoke. Ordinarily, I wouldn't let you touch this. But our real mechanic is taken ill with some fever. Our surgeon hasn't seen the likes of it before. Yes, Giddish began to speak and his words were cut off by the sound of a glove on flesh. Meta shook his head but said nothing. Giddish might be able to help the sick man, but if the occupiers didn't trust them entirely with their walkers, they surely wouldn't trust native medicine. Speak only when granted permission. The lieutenant cleared his throat. Honestly, I don't know what they're teaching you out here. He paused briefly, straightening his tunic. As I was saying, our mechanic is ill, but he is well enough to know that there is something wrong and it must be made right. His arm lazily moved to an oilskin bag near one tread. There are the tools. The access hatch is midway between the prow and the rear. Two of these men will accompany and watch you. His eyes caught the man and pierced through them. Step out of line, or do anything suspicious, and you will be killed. With that, 
He turned and moved back to the ladder. The two troopers moved in, and Brace met then Giddish. Right, Blackie, step lively. Mitta grabbed the tools and walked toward the indicated hatch. He could walk straight back between the treads. Even though the smooth metal bottom didn't brush his turban, there was still the sense that it could crush him. The weight over his head was unfathomable. Finally, he reached the midway point. Had he not known the door was there, even his practice eyes might have missed it. The seal was excellent, and the hatch dogs looked little different from the fist-sized rivets surrounding them. He placed the oilskin bag on the ground and began to unwrap it. Clear the mud from those, he gestured at the dogs. Giddish did as he was told. Though not a tenth the mechanic Mitha was, he knew which massive screws to clear. Minutes later, the hatch opened, the leading edge dropped to the ground, acting as an access route. Handholds enabled the two men to climb into the bowels of this beast. There was no room for the troopers to follow, but their presence was a sufficient threat. The engines were stilled, at least the main drive gears. A distant rumbling let him know that the boilers were still operational and powering other less crucial parts of the behemoth. Chemical headlamps attached to their turbines gave them enough light to see by. There is a problem. There was a note of surprise in Giddish's voice. Meta looked and saw what he was pointing to. Indeed, there was a set of gears that were out of alignment. He nodded. Very good. That is indeed part of the problem. He scrutinized the area. But it is not the root cause. Metal fatigue and stress had caused a small but crucial axis to crack and throw off the massive drive gears. We have our work cut out for us. He gestured to spare gears and access rods clamped to the walls of the engine compartment. Take those down and I will remove the offending parts. As far as our plan goes, follow my lead. The two men set to work. Hours passed, and more than once an impatient guard would poke his head in. Apparently satisfied that the two locals weren't actively breaking anything, they gave Mitha and Giddish the space they needed. Finally, Mitha surveyed the work they had completed. Everything would work as it should, for at least 8 to 12 hours at any rate. After that, a backlash would be set in motion that would send metal shrapnel ripping through the compartment. None of it would pierce the walls, but the main drive would be crippled. With any luck, the resulting damage would cause a ripple effect and take out other portions of the behemoth's operations. Lacking basic motive power would be enough, though. Perhaps if they were headed into the interior, and without their main engineer, it would be the edge that the resistance would need. He nodded, and with a grunt moved towards the hatch. Giddish followed him into the smothering dark. The guards followed them into the clearing. Lamps had been lit and camp made for the men who served as the behemoth's crew. It was near midnight, and all was still. The lieutenant sat at a folding table drinking something that steamed. Maitland now believed the odd Englishman to have more in common with the monstrosity he was in charge of than with normal men. He had read of engineers, far better than he was, working on mechanical men that were indistinguishable from real men. The thought chilled him to his bones, no matter how unlikely it seemed. Sit, mechanic. The lieutenant gestured to the seat opposite him. The request was odd, but by now Maitland knew better than to even question. He sat, noticing that Giddish stayed behind. A servant appeared from outside the circle of light and put a cup of tea in front of him. Maitha had no doubt that the man had spit in his drink. It sat untouched, and he waited. I would be a fool not to at least suspect that you did something to my machine. His blue-gray eyes were hard to read. 
you will go with us. If we make it to our destination and it performs satisfactorily, then you will be allowed to return to this camp, providing your services are no longer needed. Our primary mechanic is still ill. If you haven't sabotaged anything, it may be necessary for you to complete additional repairs. This may become a permanent assignment for you. He sipped again from the tea. I'm not one to take outsiders on as part of my crew, but your sergeant major speaks well of you. Personally, I think his affections for your people have softened his judgment, but I'm hardly in a place to turn down the help. Maitha almost snorted, but held his tongue. Wittenhurst was many things, but affectionate and soft weren't two words that sprung to his mind. He continued to sit, unmoving. In this case, I may be willing to make an exception. If, on the other hand, you have done something to prove to me just how untrustworthy your people are, I will feed you and your friend to this beast's furnace. He sipped the last of his tea as though he had been discussing the latest cricket match. Drink your tea, Maitha. You must trust that I haven't poisoned it, just as I must trust that you haven't damaged my clank. Maita took the cup and sipped. It was bitter, without cream or sugar. The war effort, heat, and humidity prevented some of the finer points of civilization. Is that all, sir? The lieutenant nodded once. Yes. You and your man will sleep with your people. His left hand made lazy circles toward the lone servant visible. Leave the circle of our camp and you will be shot as a traitor. You'd best sleep quickly and well, as we have an early morning and a long slog ahead of us. With that, as far as the lieutenant was concerned, it seemed, Mitha was no longer sitting at the table. The mechanic stood and left his still mostly full cup behind. He rejoined Giddish, and the two headed for an area where the servants bedded down for the night. We have signed our death warrants, Giddish practically spat the words. You heard then. I have, and I hope that you are resigned to meet Kali. The homemade knife reappeared in his hand. I will make sure that you go before I do. Mitha held out his hands. Put that thing away. I have no wish for either of us to die, though I most likely will. You have done nothing to deserve death. If I die, I only wish it to carry some meaning. Giddish nodded. The knife stayed in his hand. So you die and I live. How will you perform this miracle? Mitha's narrow shoulder slumped. I do not know. Yet. Please, put away the knife. I know you do not trust me, but if you kill me, then your own death is assured. Give me one night. I may yet be able to find a way to spare yours. The knife disappeared again. Perhaps I will. If I do, I ask only one thing of you. A dark chuckle. I can make a promise to a miracle worker. Speak well of me to others when I am gone. Tell them that I died, not as an Englishman's dog, but... As a man. Giddish laid down, finding the most comfortable spot he could. After a few moments he spoke, his voice muffled by his own body, but the sarcasm was clear. If I live, I will tell everyone I meet exactly what you were. It seemed like hours passed as Mata looked up at the stars. The scorn from the man breathing softly nearby stung more than he thought it should have. He had earned the hatred from his own people. Maybe there was nothing he could do to escape that. He would try, though. As he waited for sleep to come, he focused his will on what more he could do than to sabotage this great beast.
The clatter of men readying themselves woke him after what seemed only moments. The beginning of an idea sat coiled like a cobra at the back of his mind. Random damage would not be enough. If he truly wanted to make some kind of amends, an idea that almost made him break into laughter, then he needed to do something more. Failure, even a spectacular failure, risked marking him as little more than a failed mechanic. If Giddish died in the struggle to come, then there was nothing protecting his reputation. Even if the man lived, he would have no reason to live up to his promise in the way that meant to hope for. No, something truly remarkable needed to happen, and it needed to be traced back to him. He would need to save his people, and die heroically in the process. That thought did make him smile ironically. A heroic death was hardly something planned, and he was hardly the makings of the stuff of legend. Lying here wasn't gaining him anything, though. He stood, slowly, bones and tendons protesting a night on the hard ground. A spot bare of dew marked the place where Giddish had been sleeping. Had the man fled in the night? Meta. He spun in place, and his eyes met those of the nearest thing he had to an ally he had right now. Giddish, I am glad that neither of us met Kali last night. It's only a matter of a very brief time. He extended one hand that held a tin cup covered with a small tin plate. Meta took what passed for breakfast. A flavorless scone sat in the middle of the plate, and equally insipid tea filled the cup underneath. He ate and sipped for a few moments. Both their own people and the white men ignored them. Once he was sure that they weren't being actively watched, he felt free to speak. Perhaps, perhaps not. I may have a way for both of us to live. While you slept, I schemed. I have had to expand on my original plan, but acting on that will take some little time. But what we did, it will damage this clank before the day is out? He raised an eyebrow in surprise. He hadn't shared with Giddish precisely what effect their sabotage would have. You have paid attention. Do not look so surprised. I am not as brilliant as you, but neither am I stupid. Made the made a placating gesture. It is true. I could be as little as eight hours or as many as twelve. You're right, though. It is not much time. I must think on it for a bit more. If I can share it with you later, I will. If not, I trust your brilliance. There was no sarcasm in his tone. Follow my lead as best you can. Breakfast finished, the two men walked to the behemoth. It crouched in the early morning sunshine, eager as a tiger to begin its next meal. That thought sparked recognition in the back of Matha's mind. There was something familiar about it. He hadn't noticed yesterday thanks to the sheer unlikeliness of his being called up for service. The first inklings of recognition had begun in the engine compartment. He had diagnosed the craft's issues and fixed them quickly. Much too quickly. He was ready to chalk it up to the brilliance Giddish had accused him of earlier, but he knew now that that wasn't it. He had seen blueprints for this craft before. They were crude, primitive ideas at the time compared to the finished product, but he was certain that this beast had come from the mind of none other than Dr. Wellborn. Maitha had studied under the doctor while he was at university. He had even received one-on-one -on -one tutelage from the undeniably brilliant engineer. Wellborn was the one Brit who had treated Maitha like a human being. The fact that the doctor's wife was a native of the colony caused him to sympathize. It also 
cost him what would likely have been a story career at the best schools in the Empire. As it was, the doctor toiled in relative obscurity. The lines of the behemoth and its engine compartment were like a fingerprint. Yet another reason Maitha forgave himself for not seeing it sooner was the purpose to which Wellborn's design had been put. The old man was a strict pacifist. They had talked for hours over tea about how an armed revolt would never work and how the Indian people needed to stand up to their oppressors as one, but peacefully. Meta didn't believe him then, and he wasn't sure he did now, but the armed revolt wasn't exactly a staggering success. That much was true. Wellborn would never be a part of this monstrosity, not willingly in any event. His eyes narrowed slightly, scrutinizing the behemoth with a new perspective. Yes, yes, I see it now. Giddish snapped in frustration. See what? Mitha started at the interruption. The answer? He looked over his shoulder. There was no one in earshot. I know the beast has a weakness. Our initial plan should still work. I know how we can make the repercussions permanent. Movement out of the corner of his eye startled him. A soldier walked from the woods not ten yards away, hitching at his pants as he walked. Mitha sighed, fairly certain that they had not been overheard, or that even if they had that the guard would not understand the dialect. We need to go to the bridge and wait there. The two men climbed the ladder slowly. The flying bridge was good at fifteen feet up, and the fall, while not dramatic, would be unforgiving. Once on the top, Maitha looked around. The catwalk allowed him a practically uninterrupted view of the landscape. There weren't any tall trees in the area, so he could see for a mile or more in the hazy air. In the distance, smoke boiled up into the sky. He knew it was evidence from a battle yesterday afternoon. It has gone well for the British, but then almost every battle did. No walkers were lost, but two of them were damaged in falls. Tiger pits, a favorite weapon of the resistance, were the death of many an incautious pilot. If the hole was deep enough and steep enough, the bulky exoskeleton would be unable to work its way out quickly enough. Then, men would boil out of the tree line with flammable liquids and fire to burn the human inside. Mate shuddered at the thought of burning alive in a metal shell. I see you're enjoying the view, the lieutenant's smooth voice announced his presence. Mate turned and started, one hand going to the guardrail. Enjoying, sir? No, just taking it in. There was no joy in the thought of the devastation in the distance. The lieutenant gestured. We're setting a course for that line of trees. He pointed to the right of the smoke. There's a nest there, according to what we've been told. The infantry have been unable to dig it out. It's time to show them what the cavalry can do. An ugly pride swam through the murky waters of his tone. Yes, sir. How far will we travel? The behemoth can make eight miles an hour through this vegetation. He pointed to the craft's prow. Those blades mean we don't need roads, and I've yet to see a pit that can slow us down. I make that we'll be in the right area in about three hours. He turned and gestured toward the bridge. Join me. He strolled through the door. Maitha paused, surprised at the order. The construction of the behemoth owed quite a bit to the seagoing vessels that the British were so fond of. Lots of brass and wood and rivets. The doors were oval, in spite of a lack of water to worry about. Not wanting to earn any ire, he stepped through, minding his head, even though there was at least a foot of clearance. Something about the whole thing made him claustrophobic, and his fear of being caught amplified the sensation. Four men made up the bridge crew. Banks of dials showed pressure and temperature. 
location, and heading. He didn't recognize everything he saw, but he didn't recognize everything he saw, but had enough familiarity with the basics to know what was what. Everything was clean and orderly, particularly the men's uniforms. Not a grease stain or a smudge button to be found. Bring the drive engines online. I want to be making half speed in two minutes. The lieutenant's tone was like getting caressed by a bullwhip. The tone was calm, the threat implied. His crew jumped too, though. Mitha admired the way his men responded, and he had to fight the temptation to look for something to do. As a mechanic, all he was used to doing was waiting until the breakdown. This was a good chance for him to see what this thing could do. In less than a minute, he felt the whole floor shift slightly. Then he realized that they were in motion. The vegetation ahead of them was trampled by the machine. Another thirty seconds of forward momentum and he heard one of the men say, Blades coming up to speed, sir. An ugly ripping noise came from the front of the behemoth. The immense teeth that made up the leading edge began to chew through smaller trees. Looking out the windows of the bridge, he saw men standing on the catwalk armed with spyglasses. He guessed they were looking for any larger obstruction that the blades couldn't make it through. Up to half speed, sir, making eight miles an hour. Very good, crew. The lieutenant turned to Methan Giddish. I shall show you to the mechanics' quarters. You and your assistant will stay there for the duration, unless summoned. He was smiling. It wasn't a smile that Methan much cared for. It seemed uncomfortable on his face. The lieutenant led them through a doorway at the rear of the bridge and down a short flight of steps. A few more yards, and he gestured at a door on the left. Metha opened it and saw a bunk in a room not much larger than the bunk itself. Our regular mechanic doesn't have the need of an assistant, so you'll use what would be his room. The door will not be locked, but I will remind you to stay here unless asked for. My men get itchy hands when they see your sword inside the ship. Metha could well imagine the beating or worse that itchy hands would lead to. This will do nicely, sir. Thank you. He bowed and entered the room, followed by Giddish. The lieutenant raised an eyebrow at the thanks, but left them without a word. Metha sat on the bed and made himself as small as possible. Giddish continued to stand. So what is your plan now? The room was stifling without any sort of breeze. My hope is that he will want us, or at least me, back on the bridge. I want to be there for when something happens. His eyes busily roamed the walls until he saw a switch. He poked at it and there was a hum and a click. A vent opened on one wall and cooler air poured out. It wasn't much better than the air on the bridge, but it was an improvement. Giddish was startled. His face went from pleased to suspicious. How do you know this ship so well? A teacher of mine designed it, at least the basis for it. This was to be a vehicle used for exploration, not repression. He would never like his ideas being used in this way. So my hope is that he built in some sort of way to scuttle it. He was very suspicious of his government and wouldn't have put this past them. So why would they let him build something like this? Well, he's brilliant. As much as they hate and mistreat those who are different, they recognize intelligence and reward it. Met the gestured at himself. That is why I am who I am. Giddish nodded, his face creased in concentration. That must be difficult. Metha nearly laughed, almost as hard as it was for you to say that. For the first time in he couldn't remember how long, he saw the man almost smile. Perhaps I've been too hard on you, he said on the bed. There will be time for us to decide if that's true or not later. 
Mita stood and felt along the long edge of the bunk. A click and a metallic sound produced a drawer. From it, he withdrew some scrolls. Ha! I knew the mechanic wouldn't be far from his plans. He sat and undid the bundle, spreading out the thick paper. This was the ship they now rode on. Both men scrutinized it. Upon my life, I see nothing here that would help us. You see these? He pointed to lines of text that were nearly indecipherable. These are his notations. I can read them. They're in a shorthand taught at my school. He looked up at Girish. You rest. I have reading to do, and one of us will need to be fresh. He watched in satisfaction as Girish closed his eyes. As hard as the bunk was, it was softer than the ground from the previous night. Within minutes, his companion was asleep. Mehta puzzled over the treatment he was being offered by the lieutenant. Being shown the bridge and then being quartered in the mechanics room felt odd to him. Was he wrong about the man? It was clear that the Brit had no love for Mehta's people or for him in particular, but had repairing the ship earned him some respect? He shook his head. It would take more than simply doing what you were told, no matter how well the task was done to impress one such as him. The view was likely no more than a bone tossed to a dog, and there was likely no other place for him to be put. He must not lose his newfound resolve to play a part in the rebellion, no matter how small. With that, he dove back into studying the plans. Maitha opened his eyes when something woke him, a vibration that could have been almost anything. He had fallen asleep reading. It hadn't been fruitless, though. He now had a few good ideas on how to stop this machine for good. The vibration happened again, followed by shouts of men. He rolled the plans back up and hit his traveling companion on the soles of his feet. Wake up, Giddish. What is it? It is our opportunity. Take these. He handed Giddish the plans. When this place goes mad, find your way to the ground and give them to the resistance. They should have enough talent to figure them out. I made a few notes to help with translating the shorthand, too. Giddish took the roll. How am I to escape? There are emergency escape hatches at several places. They are slides that lead to the ground. Use one and hope that the guards will be distracted enough by the damage. Giddish nodded. What about you? I must kill this thing. In the process, there will be no chance for my escape. I have made my peace with it. Now do as I told you. Giddish inclined his head. I will. Meta stood and moved to the doorway. A soldier appeared from the darkness of the hall. Lieutenant wants you. Move to the front. He gestured with his gun. Meta answered with a nod and moved in the direction of the bridge. Once there, he saw the state of control panic that he imagined must possess every ship in battle. The lieutenant stood at his station ordering more with nods and gestures than the shouts Meta had expected. When he noticed Meta's presence, the lieutenant turned his head. Wanted you to get the chance to see this creation in action. I thought you'd want to see what you're responsible for. He pointed to the windows. Mid-afternoon sunlight revealed trees all around them. Soldiers stood behind fortifications, firing carefully down into the green. From this vantage point, he couldn't tell how successful they were. The occasional shot glancing off thick armor let him know that the fire was being returned. Louder cannon shot punctuated the staccato sentences of rifle fire. It meant the good sense that they were moving in a large and increasing circle. He pictured in his head the behemoth stopping and then beginning the spiral. By the end of the conflict, there would be a huge clearing that could be fortified by a support train. Praying to gods he said earlier he didn't believe in. 
you stepped into an observation portal. Remains of bodies, resistance fighters now little more than a smear of red and brown were visible here and there. The vibration thrummed through the behemoth again. This one powerful enough for everyone on the bridge to feel it. Meta, what was that? Report. He turned to seek out the lieutenant's eyes. I'm not sure, sir. I need to check some gauges. Something flickered in the lieutenant's eyes, and then he gestured at the boards. Men, let him have a look at what he wants. Meta walked quickly to the controls. Just as he sat, the whole ship bucked. He clutched at the console and glanced over the controls. Everything he saw told him that the main drives were undergoing just the critical failure he had hoped for. Warning klaxons blared. Well? Fear and emotion no doubt new to the lieutenant lurked under the surface of the question. Whatever caused the problem was fixed in the short term by Giddish and me, but the problem has returned. Tell me something I couldn't have figured out by myself. Meta flipped switches and spun dials in a particular planned order. The procedure would have been difficult, if not impossible, to replicate accidentally. Satisfied, he turned in the chair. Today we shall see if it is your Christ, or my Kali, that we shall meet. Or perhaps just a blip. The lieutenant closed the distance between them and struck him across the face. Fool, that sequence was long ago discovered and disabled. He drew a sidearm and pointed it at Meta. As was the sabotage that you and her friend attempted to commit. Our mechanic is dreadfully ill, but he is not dead. He wiped the trickle of blood from the corner of his mouth. Then why am I not dead, sir? Consider it something of a test. You are a highly thought of member in your race. Some in the command were convinced that we should start employing you in some important areas. Met this brow furrowed. A, a test? But the problem, it was real. The lieutenant gestured with his pistol for Metha to stand. It was perceived by my commander as an excellent opportunity. There was nothing you could do of lasting damage. We did have our mechanic just in case you did precisely what I thought you would. Metha stood. Emotions warred within him. They planned on using him to kill even more of his people more efficiently. It was a test he was glad he failed. And yet, there was part of him that asked the question, why should he care for his people? They hated him just as much as the man standing before him. It was too late, though. He had failed doubly. This war machine would go on killing everything that lay in its path, and the British would make more and more, grinding down anyone that stood in their way. Despair was replaced by impotent rage. If he had his life to do over again, he would have taken a stand sooner. Better to be loved by your own people and die struggling than hated by all and used as an occupier's tool. Heedless of what would happen to him, he lunged at the lieutenant. If he was to die today, let it be fighting. Two shots rang out, one over the other. Fresh pain seared mate the side where the pistol's bullet bit deep. The second shot had come from behind, and as the officer collapsed under him, he realized that someone was on his side. The sound of five more shots filled the air thick and fast. Hurry, you fool. We need to get off this thing now. Giddish's hand pulled at Meta's shoulder. Surprise and adrenaline battled the pain. Meta came to his feet and he looked around. Giddish held one of their guard's guns. Everyone on the bridge appeared to be dead or wounded. As he tried to stand fully erect, the pain redoubled and he winced. You must go without me. I am wounded. You will not die today. At least, you won't if we move. He grabbed Matha by the shoulder and dragged him towards the hallway they came from. I have taken care of many of the guards in this section and the rest seem occupied by outside forces. A tremendous explosion rocked the ship. It would seem that the British had more to worry about now than the two escaped prisoners. 
They made it to the escape hatch, passing two more dead soldiers on the way. Mate the underestimated his friend on a number of levels. Seconds later, the two fugitives were on the ground, running and dodging bullets. A second explosion, this one a cannon shot from the behemoth, ripped the ground to their right, showering them with dirt and stone. The relative safety of the jungle seemed too far away for them to reach, and made the strength flagged. The adrenaline-driven fear was just not enough, and Giddish could no longer drag him, though he tried. Camouflage freedom fighters, appearing like the angels made the herd the Christians sing about, helped the injured escapees the rest of the way to relative safety. The last thing he remembered was a final, ear-shattering detonation. Cool water bathed his forehead. He opened his eyes and saw Giddish standing behind a young woman dressed after the fashion of a soldier. She tended to mate his wounds as Giddish looked on. He was surprised to see the tall man smiling. Once again you have avoided Kali's embrace. Mehta tried to nod. Everything in his body protested. We both have, it seems. He thought about the dead British soldiers and the speed with which Giddish produced the knife. I imagine it was not your first time. Giddish shook his head. No, it was not. I was serving as a spy in the camp we were in. And I have taken you away from your duty. Giddish chuckled softly. Do not worry, my friend. We have received an asset that far outweighs what I was able to do. The plans, yes, the plans, and the remains of the behemoth. Made to interrupt him. You were able to defeat it? We were. We knew that it was in the area, and I was able to confirm that by passing a message to one of the servants in the lieutenant's employ. We had enough explosive, but what we did not have was a way to get close enough to use them. But the plans and the ship were not what I spoke of. We have you. Me. He was flooded with sudden fear. He would tell them what he knew willingly, but had he gone from being a prisoner of the British to being held by his own people? Yes. You have proven that your loyalty is to your land and people as far as I am concerned. I had kept my eye on you for months and wasn't sure even up until the end. Being willing to sacrifice your life helped me see the truth. Will you come to work with the resistance? We have much for you to do. A weight lifted from him. He could be useful to his own people for a change. Perhaps balancing any cosmic scales was out of the question, but it was worth a try. He sat up at the cost of more pain and extended a hand to Giddish. I will. You've been listening to The Behemoth by Scott Roche. Published by Scott Roche at Smashwords. Copyright 2011 Scott Roche. To discover other titles by Scott Roche, go to www.smashwords.com forward slash profile forward slash view forward slash Scott Roche.
fantasy. The Journey Into podcast features replays of old radio shows like X-1, Escape, Suspense, Lights Out, and many more. Also, about once a month, I sure am trying, it will also feature full cast readings of new and classic stories, as well as new flash fiction. Think of it as a variety pack of audio fiction. It's a happy meal for your ears, or if you don't like happy meals, it's like the toy chest you used to dive into when you went to the dentist as a kid. Come check it out at journeyintopodcast.blogspot.com So, come with me and let's journey into space. Or into adventure. Or into fear. Or into mystery. <laughs>